Well, love is what we celebrate on this second Sunday of the Christmas season. Christmas is a season of love. Christmas is a season that links the past, the present, and the future. Christmas offers us the opportunity to share in the ancient longing for the coming of the Messiah, to celebrate his birth, the first advent, and to be alert for his second coming, his second advent. Christmas looks back in celebration at the great love expressed in Jesus Christ's incarnation, while at the same time we look forward in hopeful and eager anticipation to the coming of Christ when he returns for his people. Christmas is a season of digging deep into the reality of what does it mean that God sent his son into this world to be God with us, Emmanuel. It's a season of expectation and anticipation. Christmas is an opportunity for each one of us to focus on God's presence. So wherever you are in your life today, wherever you are in your journey, today you are invited into this season of love. Christmas is simply a celebration that God came, that God came to be with us, Emmanuel. He came to make the way, the only way, the the way of life, of abundant life, of eternal life. Christmas is the long journey of love. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Did you know that Hallmark has 37 new Christmas movies just for this Christmas season? And of course, each one is a sappy love story, right? One article I read said that a Hallmark Christmas movie is a beloved staple of holiday programming. And it has a certain rhythm. A high-powered woman returns to her small town for the holidays. Bruised by some romantic or professional disappointment, she faces a Christmassy challenge and finds solace in her family, the town, its traditions. And it just so happens that a handsome man that she didn't expect comes, even though the rest of us saw it coming. One article I read, this was great, one article I read had a Hallmark Christmas movie plot generator, okay? That if you answer these 10 questions, pick these 10 different things, you could come up with your own Hallmark movie as you answer these questions. So here is the Hallmark movie that I came up with. Hope Jenkins, a high-powered architect, returns to her small town of Manger Bay to take care of her Scrooge-like Uncle Charles, who broke his wrist when he fell at the community skating rink. Hope, fresh from the breakup with her real estate developer, fiancé, soon runs into Shale Smith, her best friend from childhood, who is now a widowed algebra teacher. The unlikely pair are thrown together to organize the town's famous Christmas race, the Cranberry Trot. And Hope soon realizes she's developing feelings for Shale. Surrounded by her family and a, and a new love, Hope imagines leaving big city life behind for good. While, while they plan the cranberry trot, she accidentally discovers that the gravestone of the town's first mayor, Nicholas Claus, is missing. She then confides in Velma, the, the male woman who also knows all the, the town gossip, and she learns that Shale was seen in the graveyard late one night. Hope is worried that her new love might be an antique hunter looking to to cash in on the famous gravestone. But thanks to the information from Velma, 
Hope learns that Shale actually sent the gravestone out to get much-needed repairs to actually boost the local tourism. Can Hope learn to love again? Can, can Shale and Hope pull off the cranberry trod in time for Christmas? It sounds just like one of those Hallmark movies. It's amazing. Predictable, sappy, and yet popular, right? Hallmark spends millions of dollars on each one of those 37 movies. And they would not do so if they weren't actually making money. So why are these Hallmark movies so popular around Christmas time? Because Hallmark knows something about Christmas. Christmas is about love. Love and Christmas go hand in hand. Christmas is all about love, real love and true love. Now, have you ever thought about the love story in our Bible between Joseph and Mary? Now, we we know the Christmas story. We've heard it hundreds of times. But have you ever thought about it as a love story? Listen how one author put it together. Imagine you're back in the ancient dusty days of Israel under the Roman Empire. In a small village called Nazareth lives a carpenter named Joseph. He was of noble ancestry. He's he's distantly related to King David himself, but he lives a humble life, working with his hands as a tradesman. He learned to build things from his father, who was probably a carpenter before him. Some scholars think that Joseph may have grew up in Bethlehem, but at some point his family moved to Nazareth, about 70 miles north as the crow flies. Maybe this was so that, so that he could build his own, you know, carpentry business. Maybe he had relatives there. Maybe, maybe the town needed a new good carpenter. We don't know for sure, but we know that Joseph had probably been working long and hard to, to establish himself as an honorable and respected craftsman. That would have made him an eligible bachelor, probably in his 20s and ready to marry and establish his own family. The younger girls of the village, or more likely their fathers, would have noticed. You have to remember that the Jewish marriage customs of the day were quite different from ours. They followed clearly defined legal guidelines and took place in three stages. There was the contract, the ceremony, and the celebration. First, Mary's father would have gone to Joseph to propose and arrange the marriage. A cash price, kind of like a dowry, would be set that Joseph would pay to Mary's family, along with some gifts and a contract called a ketubah would be signed. The ketubah is a legal Jewish marriage contract. It outlines the rights and responsibilities of the groom in taking care of the bride. At the signing of the ketubah, Joseph and Mary were married, 100% married. He was her husband, she was his wife. Now that, now that they were legally married, then the couple would officially get to know each other, kind of more like our, our dating stage. Mary would still live with her family, and at some point in the future, about a year, maybe longer, the next stage of marriage would happen. Then at that appointed time, Joseph would have led a procession of his friends to Mary's house. And she would have had a group of her friends waiting. 
The next stage is called a, a chupa. The marriage ceremony is conducted under this marriage canopy known in Hebrew as a chupa, literally a covering. It consists of a square cloth supported over their heads or even draped around the couple. The chupa symbolizes the new home in which the bridegroom will take his bride. The appearance of the bride and groom together under a chupa before an assembly was a way of, of witnessing to the event and to the, all the peop, people that were there to proclaim to them that they were now bonded together as husband and wife. It was a necessary prelude to marital intimacy. And then that last stage was a celebration that often lasted several days where everyone would, would come together and have a great marriage feast to celebrate. Now, even though the culture and traditions of those ancient days are a lot different than in our day, it doesn't mean that there was this deep love that flowed between Mary and Joseph and probably a little romance. The Bible doesn't fill in those details, but maybe Mary and Joseph's story went a little like this. Mary was younger than Joseph. Tradition suggests that she was probably a, a mid-teenager. In that day, a meritable age. The options and opportunities for her life path would have greatly depended on her marriage and her future family life. She would have known who Joseph was because Nazareth was a small town. Still young and rugged and strong, Joseph, you know, with those chiseled forearms and the, those rough hands. From the little bits we're told about him in the Bible, he must have been an even-keeled, confident, kind, just man. Father, do you know Joseph the carpenter? Mary might have hinted to her father. Oh, that Joseph is a good man, kind and honorable. He would make a good husband for our Mary. Mary's mother could have suggested to her husband. For his part, Joseph would have known many of the young girls of the village. Their fathers were his customers. He would have built furniture for their homes. He would have crafted yokes and plows and shovels for their farms or wheels for their carts. He listened as they talked about their families. He knew which families were kind, which families were fair in their business. Maybe there were several local girls or, or families with their eye on Joseph as marital material. You know, human hearts and emotions have been the same throughout history. No matter how formal, how different the social mores and, and relational customs are, our hearts of romance and love are the same. Have you seen Mary? Joseph might have said to a friend. Her eyes sparkle like the sun on the Sea of Galilee. I saw Joseph laughing with the little children, watching him outside the workshop, Mary could have said to his sister. Well, eventually, Mary's father comes to Joseph. The ketubah was signed. And now this young couple were legally married, bound to each other for life, with their hearts stirring and their, their futures uncertain. Like the rest of us, they would have no way of knowing what they, what they would face together in their journey as husband and wife. But the excitement must have filled them and nervousness. What are we getting into? And who exactly is this person I'm going to spend the rest of my life with? Now in the middle period, be, before the ceremony, they were getting to know each other. Joseph probably carved us small wooden gifts for his wife. 
Maybe a flower to reflect her beauty. Or a bird because its grace reminds me of her. Perhaps a small box with a valuable metal clasp that she could store small treasures and things of her heart. Mary might have liked to watch Joseph work. You know, shaping and creating his workshop where they could talk together and and laugh and share moments together. She might have baked goods and brought him special breads and cakes that she knew were his favorites. And he certainly would have joined Mary's family for meals and celebrations and religious festivals, sharing life with them and the daily twists and ups and downs. And with each day that passed along, this young couple learned more and more about each other, what made each other laugh, how they handled difficulties and challenges, the strengths of their personalities, the imperfections where they failed, their hopes and fears and dreams for the future, how many children they hoped to have one day, what kind of home Joseph could build one day for his wife and his family, and how they longed for the day to come when the time was right, to take that next stage in their marriage. Each day passed, Mary and Joseph getting to know each other, choosing love to continue to grow deep in their relationship with one another. So just imagine, just imagine the emotional bombshell that went off for Joseph when he heard the news. Joseph, I know this sounds crazy. Her voice probably cracked. But an angel visited me, told me I'm going to have a baby. The angel said that his name will be Jesus, that he will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. He's the Messiah, Joseph. You have to believe me. It's a miracle. It's true. Because, because, I'm pregnant. Maybe he tried to listen to the first words, right? An angel, a miracle, the Messiah. But the weight that must have hit his heart and his mind when he heard the word pregnant. Everyone knows there's one way to get pregnant. And Joseph knew that he had not been involved. This was too much for Joseph. Maybe he walked away in silence, broken and speechless. Maybe he cried. Maybe he shouted and stormed off. Things did not go smoothly. How could you, Mary? How could you do this to me, to us? I thought you loved me like I love you. We were doing this the right way, honoring God, honoring our family, honoring each other. And now, now this If you've ever experienced the betrayal of your love, of infidelity, or if you've been close to someone who has had this devastation of betrayal, the pain is visceral. The wounds feel physical, like your chest is literally being blown apart. This was the broken trust that Joseph would have felt when Mary came and told them the news. And maybe this was part of the reason why Mary left and went to go spend three months with her cousin Elizabeth, away from her own village. It would buy time for Mary's family to figure out what to do. How would people ever believe this story from Mary, 
Could they ever believe it? Maybe it would give time for Joseph to reflect, to remember who Mary really was and to accept it. Well, let's take a moment, step back for a moment now and think a little deeper about this. Remember, we're talking about the parents of Jesus here. We're talking about Mary and Joseph, the parents of Jesus, the one and only Son of God, the parents of eternal God becoming man. This is the struggle his parents were going through. See, there's this great lie in our culture that's permeating our Christian culture that says God's main goal for you is to bring you happiness and health and prosperity. Do you think that's what Mary and Joseph are feeling at this moment? They're soon to be the parents of the Messiah, and their whole world is crashing around them. Don't believe the lie. Know this. God does some of his greatest work in our lives when we are most broken, when we are most humble. Mary and Joseph's goal wasn't happiness. Mary and Joseph's goal wasn't health and prosperity. It was to be used of God to glorify him, no matter what the circumstance. And so it is for every true follower of Christ. Our goal, our aim, is to be used of God to glorify Jesus, no matter what the circumstance. Dr. Dixon, he was president of Cedarville University uh, when I was there. He had this that he said often. Whom God breaks the most, he uses the most. See, we strive not for earthly treasure. We're Christians. Our citizenship is in heaven. We strive rather to be broken by God, for him then to put us together so that we are a better tool in his hand to be used for his purpose and his glory. Life difficulties are often God's classroom, teaching us and fashioning us for him. Well, Joseph and Mary parted with pain and anger and distrust swirling in and around them. The young Mary clinging desperately to the encouraging words of an angel and a knowledge deep in her soul that for whatever reason, no matter how unbelievable it sounded, no matter how miraculous it was, God's very son had sprung to life within her. Somehow God would make a way. Mary and Joseph is a true human love story, but it's also a supernatural love story that actually involves you and me. We're part of the story. And any human who has ever walked or will ever walk on earth. See, now if we're watching a movie of Mary and Joseph's love story, this would be the part where the, the camera starts to pan back. As they're separating from each other, it would drift out of this drab and dusty Galilean village. We'd see a wider and wider vision of the ancient landscape and then geographic forms that we would recognize as continents and oceans. And then further it would pan out until you see the whole big, great blue ball of the earth. Because in the midst of this human love story is a cosmic, supernatural love story. See, the story of Christmas is not just the love of a couple and a newborn baby. The story of Christmas is the love of God sending his son. See, Mary and Joseph and the manger is great, 
But the greatest story of Christmas by far is the incarnation. The greatest story of Christmas by far is the incarnation. It's God's love story. God the Father loving us so much that he sent his son, the second person of the Trinity, eternal, omnipotent, ever-existing God, sent him in humility to become man. Christmas is the long journey of God's love, as Galatians 4.4 says, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman. When the exact appointed moment came, God sent forth his son to be born on the earth. See, Christmas is a crescendo in God's love story for the world. The incarnation is a climactically timed expression of the triune God's love for us and for all of mankind. For God so loved the world that he gave us his son. The greatest love story of Christmas is not Mary and Joseph, but God to us, God with us, Emmanuel. The Apostle John said it simply and 1 John 4, 8 and 16. God is love. Love is the very nature of our God. Our God is love in the greatest way that love can ever be expressed because he is love and he is just and he is holy and he is good and he is truth all at the same time. Everything that God does is loving, everything, because God is love. In the perfect balance of his perfect being, God's love is real and powerful and sacrificial. There's this great quote from John Piper that I put in our sermon notes. Love is from God, the way heat is from fire, the way light is from the sun. Love belongs to God's nature. It's woven into what he is. It's it's part of what it means to be God. The sun gives light because it's light. The fire gives heat because it's heat. God gives love because he is love. 1 John 4, 9 through 10 says it so powerfully. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. And this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and he sent his son to be the propitiation, the atoning sacrifice to die on the cross for our sins. So you want to hear a great definition of Christmas? What is Christmas all about? In this, the love of God was made manifest. That God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. That's Christmas. That's the greatest plot line of the whole Christmas story. So let me say it strong and loud and clear. Christmas, God sending his son into this world, is a manifestation of God's great love for you. God sending his son into this world so that we might live through him. Christmas is a visible demonstration that God loves us. Does God love us? Does God love you? Yes, he does. And one of the greatest proofs of that is Christmas, the incarnation of the Son of God, when God sent his Son into the world to be born of a woman. 
one of the greatest gifts of Christmas you can ever receive is the blessed assurance that God loves you. That he sent his son in the incarnation. That God became man. Christmas. That he sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. To be the atoning sacrifice to die on the cross for us. The proof. Christmas. Of God's love. Well, back to our story of Mary and Joseph. Mary has left town to to go to her cousin Elizabeth's house. The walk would have been long and hot. The road must have been lonely. And the miles must have echoed in her brain with the recent conversations, the pain and the hurt in Joseph's eyes, the disbelief and confusion in her family, full of feelings of rejection and isolation, but yet always, always the hope, always the promise that was delivered by the angel. I know the truth, she would say to herself, but how is anyone else going to see it? What's going to happen to me? Would anyone believe me? And then listen to what happens. As recorded in Luke chapter 1, verses 41 through 45. As soon as Mary arrived at Elizabeth's house, the scripture says, And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, her baby leapt in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me, that the, Lord, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leapt for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her. From the Lord. See, God had given Elizabeth the supernatural knowledge to know the truth. And then all of a sudden, Mary dealing with the pain and the hurt of Joseph, Mary dealing with the disbelief and confusion of her family, all trying to figure out what this means with the angels, is trying to come to grips with the message. And now she just walks through the threshold of Elizabeth's house, and her cousin Elizabeth yells to her, you are blessed. She's not alone. Elizabeth knows. Elizabeth believes her. How gracious God's plan is. How miraculous God's plan is. Can you imagine the immense relief Mary felt? Immediately, Elizabeth, who is carrying her own miracle child, knew and confirmed to Mary that God was working out his plan, that everything was going to be all right. Elizabeth was miraculous with child, even in her old age, and Mary was miraculously with child, even though she had not known a man. Mary's response to Elizabeth in Luke 1 is filled with joy. It's filled with humility to God's plan. She said, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me and holy is his name. In the midst of Mary's crisis, God provided just the love she needed through another person who understood her who supported her. Folks, that's often how God works. 
You see, as we walk in his love, he knows just what we need, and he brings us his love through the support and encouragement of other people around us. Or maybe today, you need an Elizabeth in your life. You need someone to come alongside of you and tell you that God is working out his plan and that everything is going to be all right. Think about this now. That's actually one of the main reasons why we gather together as a church in Jesus' name. To love one another. To encourage one another. To come alongside one another. To bear one another's burdens. To spur one another on in their faith. Remember Jesus said to his disciples, as he said to us in John 13, 34, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. 1 John 4, 11 says, Beloved, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Oh, beloved, if there is one thing that may be said of us, may it be said that we love one another. In the midst of our hurt and confusion, in the midst of our loss and discouragement, in the midst of, of, of your questions and your doubts, in the midst of the daily grind of this hard life that we live, let me tell you, let me come alongside and tell you, God is working out his plan. Everything is going to be all right. You are loved. You're accepted. You're cherished by our God, by his son, and by his people, your church. May it be heralded throughout the land. God so loved you that he sent his son. And God so loved you that he brought you here to be loved by his people. Oh, beloved, we are loved. And you are loved. But what about Joseph? We kind of left Joseph hanging out there. He's still so confused. Joseph had Mary's word on what's going on, and, and Mary had proved herself to be so honorable and so trustworthy, but yet it just seems so impossible. So back in Nazareth, in his pain and in his confusion, Joseph has decided he cannot go forward and complete their marriage. The pain and the betrayal was too much. He just couldn't believe. And while legally he could have taken Mary to the courts and had her tried and, and potentially even stoned to death, he loved her. He didn't do that. He couldn't do that. But he couldn't just overlook this, this terrible breach of trust. So instead, the law allowed him to divorce her quietly and to not make it a public disgrace of her. That's when God gave Joseph just what he needed. God knew Joseph needed some supernatural insight. So Joseph, too, got a visit from an angel with a message from God. As we read earlier in Matthew 1, 20 and 21, it says, But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. 
She will bear a son. You shall call his name Jesus, and you will save his people from their sins. God spoke to his fear. God reaffirmed to him that Mary was telling the truth. And God told him that his child, this child, would be the long-awaited Messiah, the miraculous incarnation who would save his people from their sins. God used his message to bring him the truth he needed. God used his message to calm his fears and to teach him his will and to express his love to him. Now think about this. God does the same for us. God uses his message, his word, to bring us the truth that we need. Now not by a dream and an angel, but by the sure word of the Bible. God uses his word, the Bible, to calm our fears, to teach us his will, and and to express his love towards us. God's message was exactly what Joseph needed. God's word is exactly what we need. How did Joseph respond to the message when he received it? Matthew 1.24 says, He did as the angel of the Lord commanded him, and he took Mary to be his wife. He responded with obedience. When we receive the message of God, when we have the clear teaching of God's word and the Bible in our lives, how do we respond? How do you respond? With obedience? Christian today, you are loved. And Christmas proves it. We love because he first loved us. Perhaps today you need to reconnect to God's love. Perhaps today you need to come in confession to God and telling him that what has separated you from his love is you, not him. And then you need to let his love in and flow through to the people in your life, to your church, to your family, to your friends. Take a step today to reach up in love so that you can reach out in love. Christian, could it be said of you that they can tell you're a Christian by your love? If you're not a follower of Christ here today, you are loved, and Christmas proves it. You see, God sent his son into this world so that we might have life through him. For God so loved you that he gave his only son for you so that whoever would believe in him could have life, eternal life, everlasting life. Jesus came to save his people from their sins. Today's your day to look anew at the reality of the gift of of God, his son, who came, who lived a sinless life, who died on the cross in our place, taking the penalty of our sins, rising again three days later, proving that everything he said, everything he did was true, and thus making the way for God's love to be realized in our lives, bringing us salvation. You are loved And Christmas proves it. Let's pray. Father, now all I want to do is just say thank you. 
Thank you. Thank you. I am loved. And Christmas proved it. Your intervention into time and space, sending your son in the incarnation. That is love. Manifest among us. And we say thank you. Challenge us in our love today. Challenge us in our forgiveness. Challenge us in our relationship with you. Challenge us to take necessary steps in our lives to have love break out. Challenge us that we, as we sing the song coming up, all that thrills my soul is Jesus. May that be true of us as believers. And if you're not a believer out there today, if you're not a follower of Christ, if he's not your Lord and Savior, you have heard clearly today that you are loved and God proved it. Pray to him. Confess to him. Receive him today. In Jesus' name, amen.